You're listening to the Built Shapes Podcast, presented by Midco Sports Network. Want to get nostalgic this summer? Hey, every Friday night and the occasional Saturday in June and July, Midco Wesson is re-airing some of our favorite UND hockey, basketball, volleyball, and football games from recent years. Plus, we've got the new covered as well, with new episodes of Midco Motorsports and Benchwarmers on Wednesday nights, and our all-new summer show, Midco SN Trivia Night, on Tuesdays. It's all coming your way this summer on Midco Sports Network. This is how we do sports, and this is the Build Shapes Podcast. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Bill Shaves Podcast. Taping this on a Tuesday morning, June the 23rd. Alex Heinrich, Bill Shaves. Bill, good to catch up with you. It's been a little while. You look well. You look good. <laughs> I miss our, our weekly uh, pods, but uh, during this odd odd time and I'll call it off season, uh, we always maybe go a little bit uh, longer between pods, but uh, it's good to be back. Yeah, keeping with the one a month. Uh, you know, it's it's funny when we potted last time at the end of May. The hope was to start doing well. Let me be. Let's do every other week, and then just like everything during this time of quarantine and lockdown and changing situations, you know, we audibled and just decided, you know what? Let's maybe take a little more of a break and go back to once a month. And we're excited to come back and have a chance to sort of yeah to catch up to catch people up on what's been going on with UND and what's happening with the athletics department because there has been a lot that's really taken place since we potted last, and so. We wanted to take some time here at the top and just sort of catch people up. We had a semester finish. You know, we've moved into the summer. Um, I guess first things first, there was so much talk about distance learning and, and how students would be doing when they weren't going to be on campus and how the last two months of the semester would go. You know, GPA wise, everybody did pretty well. 3.5 cumulative GPA for the athletics program, 15 of 15 programs with a 3.0 GPA or better, 114 4.0 students in the spring of, of, of our student athletes. That's pretty impressive stuff, Bill, for a semester that was so broken up and so disjointed. Great to see the kids working hard and finishing strong like they did. Yeah, kudos to uh, to all of our students who uh, did a great job in the classroom and, uh, and, and, uh, and kudos to our uh, academic advisors as well, uh, Kara Helmig and, uh, and Andrus Freeman uh, and, and a number of others uh, that, that work with our student athletes, Tyler Burmeister and Katie, Katie Martinez and Shane Hislop. Uh, you know, they, they do a great job with, uh, with all of our students. And, and, and let's face facts, it's, it's our students who have to do the work. And so uh, we, we guide them uh, into uh, situations that I think is uh, advantageous for them. Uh, if you're, if you're a, let's just say a predominantly fall sport, I know we have some crossovers between semesters between basketball and say hockey. Um, and so I think each semester uh, it, it takes on uh, a significance, but let's just say you're a football player, um, you know, potentially, you know, the spring might be a better time to, to, I'll call it load up depending on, you know, your, your major at that point. So, so I think our, our advisors do a great job and obviously the students do a good job. And then our coaches, uh, you know, reemphasize always that you're here to get your degree. With the semester wrapping up, the summer kind of began and from an athletic standpoint, obviously the emphasis was let's reopen some facilities and do so safely. And obviously you've been a big part of that. Voluntary workouts are starting to take place. Bill, if you could kind of talk us through sort of that process of deciding when to reopen certain facilities and when you felt like it was safe to start bringing students back on campus, at least initially in limited capacity. Yeah. So, you know, we were waiting for the NCAA to, to, to make, uh, some 
decisions uh, regarding you know, when those dates could be. And so when we found out that uh, June 1 was the date, we had been working through uh, protocols, uh, myself and Kara Helmig and Eric Martinson, Steve Westering and Jody Hodgson had been meet, meeting literally on a daily basis to figure out what the potential protocols would be for each of our facilities. And the trick is, Alex, um, there's some facilities uh, that I'll call it our UND facilities and some that are not. And so we had to make sure that we, we looked at this uh, on a sport by sport basis and a facility by facility basis. So we started initially with the Ralph uh, Choice Health and Fitness in Kingswalk. So that took care of, you know, several sports. Uh, that was the week of June 1. And then June 8th, we brought the Betty on board. Uh, and then, uh, and then the week of June 15th, we brought all other facilities. And so, uh, that included Hislop and HPC and, uh, Memorial stadium using that turf. And so, uh, as you might imagine, it just, uh, there's just a lot of pieces of that puzzle. And so, uh, maybe the reasons why we haven't potted from, from, uh, from, uh, late May to <laughs> now is, is, is that's part of it. And then, you know, so now we're in the, the, you know, the world of, workouts and uh and i'll call it small group training right in our uh our premier league days or our, our thoughts is uh you know that in 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 so we've got that in play but then the next the next uh step is really uh practices and, and what that looks like and then ultimately competition you used a, a phrase you know small group training that we've heard a lot if you're a soccer fan over the last couple of weeks, and we've seen this in Europe where these different sports have come back in phases and it's non-contact and then it's like five people sort of in groups and then you expand, et cetera. And we're seeing that right now, obviously, with what the NBA is considering doing with everybody going to Orlando in a bubble and what the NHL is going to do with these hub cities. How much do you look at what those other, obviously, these are professional athletes, not not amateur athletes like we have at UND, but how much are you looking at what other countries, what other leagues, what other sports are doing as you start to prepare and, and decide how we want to phase back in to competition come, come later this summer, quite frankly? Yeah, I mean, I think you're learning from everyone, Alex. I, I, I think that's very fair. And uh, I've spent a lot of time uh, reading and, and listening uh, to various podcasts about how how each uh, sport is doing what they're doing. Um, everything's a little bit different, I think, in nuanced uh, based on uh, the sport itself uh, and the situation. Um, you know, obviously in the professional leagues, you've got a, uh, you know, you've got to um, collectively bargain you know, what the, the protocols might be. I'd say it's a little different from collegiate athletics or even high school athletics that there needs to be protocols put in um, that are, I'll call it realistic. And, and then at that point, um, you know, you have to be ready to pivot and alter through this time as well. And we've said to our, our student athletes that have come back to work out, you know, we go through a uh, educational process with them on the front end. And I, you know, we, we say this to them, Hey, look, you need to be our ears and eyes too, because if we, if we have to kind of change some of the things that we potentially are doing, it's one thing to think about it. I'll, I'll say it around a conference table. It's another thing to do it in practicality. So you're, you're kind of thinking it through, uh, you know, constantly. And so, um, 
I think the challenge, you know, there's there's a there's a lot of challenges. Um, I guess a lot of opportunities too, uh, you know, as we're going through this, because you know, people might say, well, what's the opportunities? Well, the opportunities are potentially is 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 some of the things that we're going to be doing now something that we should be carrying on into the future and 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 if a pandemic didn't hit would we ever be able to do certain things that might be the right things to do and you just wouldn't have done it because it was continual standard operating procedure i guess on the last normal well the next normal might make sense that we do certain things that um for whatever reason we just couldn't get there from here because now we're in a situation where we have to do some things and so i don't know i you know i'm i'm always glass half full um i think the challenge that you know intercollegiate athletics has uh for sure is you know states are all in a different um place and so you've got to really lean on your state and your local uh health officials to kind of guide the way a little bit and so it's a little bit different than having boxing in a bubble in vegas uh, or UFC doing what they're doing, or uh, WWE doing what they're doing, or even what the NBA is trying to potentially do in a controlled environment. I don't even think it's really a bubble. I think it's a controlled environment. And so if you think about it, the NBA has 450 uh, athletes that play uh you know, on NBA teams, if you take away the eight teams that are not going to be in the controlled environment, that's as many student athletes as we have at UND. And so, you know, we've got to be really thoughtful about what this looks like moving forward. And, um, you know, we're just not there yet um, to kind of, you know, kind of envision what the, the, the necessary protocols need to be uh, in, in place uh, for competition to occur at this point. But, you know, as I've said uh, before, you know, I we're planning to play, uh, you know, a fall season for sure. Um, but we just have to be uh, continually working on how that will look. And uh, that's what we're doing right now. Yeah. One of the big steps to getting closer to that. And one of the steps we've seen a lot of colleges take across the country is starting to test student athletes as they come back on campus. And that's what UND is doing today. Again, we're recording this on a Tuesday right now as we speak. People are being tested uh, on our campus as you know, voluntary football workouts began last week. People are coming back on campus. And so an important step to figure out who's got the virus and who might be asymptomatic about it, who doesn't have it and it is cleared and good to go. You know, we've seen this, obviously, the more testing you do, of course, then the more cases you're going to find and the more people you can identify as being at risk. And we've seen the numbers be really high. I mean, Clemson, I think, had, what, 28 football players test positive for COVID-19. And it seems like every college, like Boise State, had to cancel their voluntary workouts because they had so many people test positive. As you're doing this process, if the numbers come back now, if at the, on, the, on the flip side, we've seen this happen in Europe with different soccer, so, you know, soccer leagues, and there have been relatively few cases, and they've been able to continue on as normal. Are there sort of contingency plans already in place for the university built to say, hey, if we have this many student athletes, or what if two student athletes have this, what do we do then? Kind of give us an overview with, with, with what you can tell us about what the plan is when you get those testing results back. So, Alex, lots to that question. Lots to that yeah. question. Um, yeah. Lots. Lots. We could do probably a uh, lots of pods on that question. So let me start. Let me start initially. Um, 
today we are we're hosting a testing event that's a statewide testing event so um, so the opportunity to test uh, is on our campus so not a mandated uh, I'll call it student athlete or athletic you know scenario for us um, because today as we sit here our protocols uh, have wellness checks that we do on a daily basis prior to coming into each of our facilities. Um, I think that the, I'll call it the issue with testing at this point in time is availability of tests. And I think that's the, uh, you know, that's what we're still trying to figure out as we're moving forward. I think you can test, um, get tested as needed for sure you know if you have the symptoms and um and if you've tested positive to see whether or not you then are testing negative but at this stage of the game this event that's going on on our campus literally today again is a statewide uh test and so uh you know it just provided an opportunity to in a sense baseline uh some uh some of our um uh, university uh, employees and students that are on campus. And so uh, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question at this point, but, but what's happened is I think it'll give us an opportunity to potentially know, um, you know, where we might stand as of right now. Other schools might have greater access right now to testing, therefore it's part of their protocols, and therefore they've had to kind of pivot and do some things in real time. Does that make sense, or if, am I making sense in that regard? No, I think so. No, because I, I think, um, again, according to Tom Miller's our article that came out yesterday, it sounds like there were a thousand tests available and, and you and these student athletes would sort of be able to get tested on a first-come, first-served basis, and that would be expanded over to I think the aeronautics department, there were, you know, some different, different groups would be able to take that test. And yeah, it sounds like that this will be something that you'll just sort of, yeah, feel out as you go. I guess the big, the big thing I think would be, would there be a scenario where, you know, the testing numbers aren't great and you decide, Hey, let's maybe shut things down. Is that something that's kind of, I'm, I'm assuming you've talked obviously through all these sorts of things, but just out of curiosity, what, what do those protocols look like once you kind of get the numbers back? The protocol piece is, you know, I think if, if we've got a COVID tested positive, then we've got to go by state guidelines as far as what you do uh, from a, a health standpoint. And so, um, and that's uh, quarantining and then, uh, and then the health officials will contact Trace. And so, um, so from there, we really are in, um, we just envelope in to what the state would require at that point. And so, uh, you know, so, so this event per se was a really good opportunity to, for, um, for many of us to, to know where we stand today. Um, and, and again, that's a, that's a big piece of the puzzle, right? I mean, it's one thing if you're doing an antigen test, which maybe shows whether you have the antibodies or not, but again, uh, all testing is kind of a moment in time. And then when you get ultimately the results, the results could happen 24, 48, 72 hours later. I I think you would know what you know based on when you took the test in that moment of time. That's something people might be missing right now is that when you take a test and maybe you don't have the virus, doesn't mean you couldn't get it tomorrow or doesn't mean you've already contracted it between when you took the test 
And then 72 hours later, when you got the results, like those are things that can happen. So all, all that to be said, be safe, be safe out there, everybody. Things are still happening. Cases are still spiking. So protect yourself and protect your family and be smart. But anyway, that's good to know. Good to, good to know. And it's nice, I think, from a university perspective that you do. You, you are a state institution and you've got the guidelines of the state and the CDC to fall back on in these situations. So it's not like you're inventing the wheel here. There's, there's some good research and data that you've already got at your fingertips that you can fall back on when things like this pop up. Yeah, you know, and so the reason why uh, aviation students and student athletes, I guess I'll, I'll call it maybe were um, singled out is because they're here on campus, or at least some of those students are here of those subsets of our student body. So it gave them an opportunity to, again, baseline where things are right now. But until they become, until testing becomes part of your actual protocols, um, you know, this is just kind of a one-time occurrence right now in, 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 in this scenario, but we do do wellness checks on a daily basis. And, and that gives us an opportunity to know whether or not you're, uh, you've got, I'll say this, uh, symptoms, uh, you know, of, of COVID. And if you do, then, uh, then, then obviously we don't want you in the facility at that point in time. And so, uh, um, so yeah, all kind of interesting process of where we are right now. And I think if you go forward, Alex, and, you know, a lot of things that we've read is potentially, you know, the testing capabilities as it relates to competition that I do think is important. But I think the one thing that we all have to be really clear on is what are the capabilities and availabilities and, you know, cost aside, let's just say, cost was no object, which we obviously know that's not the case, but let's just say cost was no object. The question is, do you have the capabilities and availabilities? And then what is the turnaround time as far as results? And those are all real things that you're going to have to come to grips with as far as what is is potentially occurring. Because if it's three days later, I'm not sure what that does for you. True. This this is true. Yeah, these are true things. Yeah. Yeah. So so I think you need immediate you almost need a, a next to immediate um, results to some degree. And so I think, you know, as every day goes by, I do believe we have a chance to maybe get better in that arena, so to speak. And that's what I think people that are, I guess, sitting in my chair are are, are monitoring and, and seeing what others are doing um, as they're as they're going forward. Yeah, it's it's just so interesting to watch this unfold. And we, we said this in our last pod and the, the pod before that. In the midst of this, you know, every week is is kind of a new week. Every day there's sort of something new about this. And it's even still, even now that we're gosh, 11, 12 weeks removed, you know, from when things were canceled back in mid-March, it's still a developing situation. And Again, June June is flying by, June 23rd already. I mean, we're really two months away from being on the cusp of the start of volleyball season. And from, you know, football starts on September the 3rd. And all these things are, hockey is just a month later. All these things are just around the corner. And so it's, it's uh, I know right now from your chair, right? And you mentioned this earlier, at this point, everything is still full go for the fall, you know, practice, fall camp for football, volleyball players reporting cross country, et cetera. Everybody's still planning on coming and being a part of a normal fall schedule, at least from a student athlete's perspective. From a fan's perspective, of course, this is still a fluid situation as well. And it sounds like, again, right now, the plan is to sort of just 
pr- proceed with caution and kind of see what happens over the next couple of months. Can you tell us any more? And obviously, you're you're a big part of this this group that is meeting on a regular basis between folks from the Ralph and the Alaris, et cetera, to try and determine what what is a safe way to move forward with fans attending events. What can you tell us about how those conversations have gone and where we're at right now here on June 23rd. Yeah, it's been a really good group um, that we get together on a weekly basis. And I I think we're able to uh, compare some notes as far as, you know, what folks are hearing Um, more so than anything. I think that's that's the the key to this particular group. Um, I think we're going to know some things as to how uh, other events, whether you know, especially in the state, you know, whether it's, uh, let's just say Medora or, um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, uh, it, it could be auto racing of some sort or minor league baseball or how that's uh, progressing. We can, you know, we'll learn from those partic- particular events, even those even though those are outdoors versus indoors, which might be a little bit different as well. And so um, we're just continually, uh, you know, monitoring the landscape and then putting together uh, what we would call, uh, you know, again, I hate to use the term protocols, but the the protocols to, you know, in a sense, be a fan. Uh, And so, uh, um, you know, that's, that's in play right now. We're, we're, we're ending uh, here in June and, our hope is our work to some degree will be done by early to mid-August as far as what that looks like. And, you know, timing seems to be everything, you know. I mean, I, I, you do want dates and people want answers today, but sometimes, uh, you know, patience is, is your best friend right now is to try to figure out, you know, where are we going to be in four weeks? And where we are in four weeks could be a lot different than where we are in four days from now. Yeah. And that's well said. I think that's, that's the big thing I think for folks listening to this is that we shouldn't expect to have answers tomorrow of yes, definitively, we will have fans in the stands from day one, or yes, everything is going to go on exactly according to plan. But right now, like you said, let's just plan on having those things happen. And then if we have to adjust, we'll just adjust. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, until, until there's a vaccination, um, that that comes to the fore i i just think flexibility is going to be the key and uh we're going to have to be really flexible as far as where we are uh you know at this point and and that may include from a scheduling standpoint alex it just may and uh and so uh, you know not that i have any particular announcement to make today i really don't i mean i think what we're doing is trying to figure out you know what could uh um you know seasons look like especially if they're i i would say have to be altered based on what we thought the original schedule would be and and i'd say and not to be cagey or coy here i think it's more or less hey if if we don't have to go maybe a time zone away how can we play within our own time zone and so I think those are some of the, you know, thoughts that all of our coaches and our administrators are having, not only here at UND, but really across uh, across the country. I mean, I, I've talked to my counterparts uh, a lot uh, as far as what they're they're thinking about, and I think they're all in the same boat. Yeah, well, that's every sport is kind of going through those processes, and we've seen that even with the USHL announcing the other day they're in, they're in talks of making their schedule much more regional based. You know, we've heard a lot about Major League Baseball doing so. 
now obviously that major league that's a that's a b-side topic that we're going to get to probably because that that plan seems to change every day but it seems like the the less you have to go outside of your region the less you have to move people across country to 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 compete and things like this probably the better that seems to be the safer way to go about things so it feels like you're approaching this obviously from the rights you know the right lens yeah i think you know what you're saying in that regard is that you're just eliminating potentially another layer of what it would be like to go compete right so i mean at the end of the day it's a little bit easier if you can get into a uh, a, a more controlled environment which is like maybe you step on i'll call it a bus and 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 really you go from point a to point b in that same vehicle and then come back and so you go a to b and b to a as opposed to going on a bus and then potentially on another uh, you know, mode of transportation, you know, whether obviously it'd be an airplane or whatever, and then, and then getting back on another bus and then, and then reversing yourself. And so I think, uh, I think people are just trying to be thoughtful about how, how to be as strategic as possible during this time frame. Yeah, which is good. No, good stuff there, Bill. Yeah. Well, that's obviously a big part of what you'll be doing over the next couple of months as we get ready for the start of sports come the fall. I know that, um, New UND president, Andy Armacost, has had, uh, who started, by the way, on June the 1st, there's a Healthy Hawks initiative that you can read about online of how the university as a whole is preparing for students to come back on campus, how to do so safely. It's, again, it's a situation that continues to change, but it just feels like everyone with UND and really throughout the country are doing their best to try and approach this the right way, to be really thoughtful, to put the health of our students and our student athletes first. And if, you know, if you're a parent of a young person out there or you're a fan of these student athletes and these, these teams, that's what you want. You want these kids to be safe. You want their families to be safe. You want to be safe, quite frankly. So it's good to see, again, the university taking this, I would say taking this, this very thoughtfully and approaching this with the right, the right manner here at this time, certainly. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, Dr. Armacost, we certainly welcome uh, him to uh, to UND and Grand Forks. And, uh, you know, it, 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 and honestly, Alex, you know, since he was named, uh, he's been, you know, he's been certainly uh, involved in tremendous amount of, of conversations because we're just in you know, unique times for us and uh, for all of us, right, worldwide. And so he's been uh, involved. So, yes, but officially took the baton on June 1 from Dr. Wynn, who just did a tremendous job in in his interim stead. And so uh, we were really fortunate to have Josh do what he did. And we're also fortunate that he's uh, still with us um, as now the, just the Dean of the med school. And he's actually uh, working with governor Burgum and um, as, as kind of a strategy officer, as it, as it relates to uh, this public health situation that we're in. So, so, so we're, you know, we're in great shape from a leadership standpoint that, the, the that, you know, the difficult part for everyone is, uh, I, I think all of us want to have answers uh, to a lot of different questions that unfortunately just don't have answers to right now. It's true. No, this is true. That's, that's where we are right now. But I, know I appreciate you opening up and talking about some of the, the protocols in place and what the plans are when things pop up over the next couple of weeks as we get to learn a little bit more with testing today, et cetera. Hopefully things do just continue to get better, that we can continue to get closer and closer to a a real restart of athletics in our country. And hopefully fans can be able to watch them in person. But again, flexibility, the key here as we move forward. Um, 
one thing you mentioned Josh Wynn. Let's talk about Tom Wynn for a second. That was a big announcement that took place since our last pod. Tom deciding that this is going to be his last season as the head coach of the men's and women's tennis program. It's going to be his 30th year in charge. He's a Hall of Famer, you know, a former NCC singles champion in the 70s, was runner up a couple of times, a great player, a great coach, a great guy. What can you say about Tom and the decision for this to be the last go round for him? Yeah, Tom, you know, obviously, I think we all get to a point where you start thinking through when you'd want your exit to be. And it was something that he had mentioned to us, uh, boy, it might've been around the first of the year, you know? And so it was really pre pre COVID. And, uh, I think he was, uh, you know, having some thoughts probably as you have a little bit of time, uh, around the holidays and you, you maybe you do some reflection and I, you know, he just, I think thought this upcoming year was a, uh, a good time to, uh, sort of, um, you know, pass the baton, uh, you know, uh, moving forward. And so, you know, I, I don't know, I look at a, at a Tom win and, you know, I think I, I chuckle cause he, he's so modest and, uh, you know, I, I do kind of lovingly call him the hall of famer. I think he's in four hall of fames, you know, mm-hmm. and of course he is. Right. So, uh, and, and at the end of the day, he's, uh, done so much for us in this community and UND and, you know, he's taught life through tennis. I mean, that's what he's done. And so uh, we were just uh, excited uh, to have him all these years and really excited to, uh, um, uh, you know, kind of have him go out and celebrate him during the next year. Yeah, exciting to see what those celebrations will look like. And it's really too bad because his teams, both the men and women, were having tremendous spring tennis seasons. Uh, the men were having a a record type of a year where they had an awesome start to the season. Unfortunate to see, of course, both of those campaigns ended. But Tom, who was going to finish up his final year in charge of the program this year, had a great quote when he talked about this and said, you know, it's time for me to, I believe, pull the plug and let someone else take the reins. (laughs) So there you go. So pulling the plug, but plenty more to do for Tom. By the way, Tom has won a USTA award along with his brother for pushing forward the sport of tennis at the youth level. Uh, that's, that's great when you've got somebody in the community like that that doesn't just care about the UND tennis program but cares about growing the sport and helping the youth of our community like that. It's a really good guy. And it's, yeah, tough to see someone like that go, but excited for him in the next chapter of his life. Yeah, you know, he's done such a good job, uh, you know, obviously in the community. And uh, it, it just lucky to have him and, and what he correct, what he's meant to the, the sport of tennis. And uh, yeah, he's 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 grown it to a point where, you know, um, not many not many uh, colleges can say that there's a uh, I'll call it a fan base for tennis, but but certainly there is one in Grand Forks. And, uh, you know, you know, part of it is we have, you know, such a, a great, unique setting and, uh, you know, opportunity to watch, which is awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in, in our 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 donors have been uh, they've stepped up and been terrific in uh, in making that venue uh, uh, as good as really it, it can be for for a college tennis uh, uh, venue. It's just awesome. You get to you get a bird's eye view and get to watch all six courts at once. And so, and with a uh, new scoreboard that was uh, installed and was, was getting ready to be unveiled. So uh, we have to wait on that unveiling, so to speak, uh, for our next quote unquote um, official UND tennis match, but uh, um, should be uh, exciting uh, in that regard as well. Yeah, good stuff. Congrats to Tom on the announcement and best of luck to him this coming season, his final one in charge of UND tennis. One other kind of overarching NCAA note that came out 
in the last couple of weeks that affects North Dakota. The D1 Council met and they have been doing so, you know, on a regular basis. And after sort of kicking the can down the road a bit on the St. Thomas move from D3 to D1, there was word that came out, I believe, last week saying that the council was... I want to say bullish, maybe is not the right word, but it sounded like from St. Thomas's president that they are hopeful that that things are going to be able to be approved for that that school to make the move directly from D3 to D1. What have you heard the latest in terms of, of that transition? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a fair assessment, Alex. I, I think legislation was in place that made, I, from a, I think it made a logical sense uh, when it was put in place, but then sometimes you find out about legislation in practicality sometimes doesn't work uh, the way you would think. So to kind of rewind a little bit, there was legislation to go from division three to division one, you actually had to go to division two. And I do believe that makes some sense, right? Because I think you're kind of building your program up. That would be the thought process. But in practicality, you're starting to think, well, well, if I've got a good enough program and I have a home to go to the Summit League and they want me and I want to go there, I'm not sure it makes sense to make a pit stop in Division Two. So that's been kind of the conversation that's gone on on the national level. So um, so I'm I'm optimistic I think that we're going to get there uh, from a waiver standpoint and uh, hopefully it'll be sooner, sooner than not. But I think that's been kind of the conversation. And so uh, um, again, all made sense as far as how it was put in play. But what ends up happening is when you're dealing with literally over a thousand schools within the NCAA and in the three divisions, and you're making these sort of uh, um, rules, if you will, you really find out about the rule when it gets put in action. Yeah. One thing that was interesting as well is that Augustana's application to be a Summit League member, or at least to start that process, was maybe denied is is a a harsh word, but was essentially (laughs) rejected is also kind of a harsh word too. But that's sort of what happened. They applied to join the Summit League. The Summit League basically said, not at this time. We're not interested to move forward with the partnership there with Augie at this time. I'm assuming because with St. Thomas, that would be 10. You'd have 10 member schools. And then who knows what happens from there. But was that a surprising decision in your eyes, Bill, that Augie was not sort of accepted or begun to be brought into the fold to the Summit League? Yeah, so so let me answer it this way. Um, I think it's always interesting when you're dealing with potential membership in a conference. And there's no real uh, right time for that to either occur or not occur. And I think given the fact that we were trying to figure out what was going to happen with St. Thomas in literally – you know, we're trying to figure it out through the NCAA and, and seeing whether or not there's going to be a waiver for that. I think, um, you know, there was a thought process of let's see what transpires with them. And then maybe you kind of take a deep breath and you start thinking, OK, now what from from yeah. there? And and again, I, I, I and truth be told, I, I'm not on the front lines of these conversations. I, I'm just not. I, that's Commissioner Duple's uh, role, obviously. Um, you know, eventually it makes its way. You know, all membership conversations make their way at some point to the ads, but ultimately it's a presidential decision. So, um, I think like 
everything else, hopefully in life to some degree, you're always kind of looking at the long play. And I think right now in the short play, it was, okay, let's see what the NCAA does with St. Thomas. And then maybe at that point you regroup, but I'm not sure maybe you wanted multiple balls in the air. Yeah. Which is probably smart. I think that's, that's, uh, that rationale makes a lot of sense. And I think for the sake of the league and for the health of the league and the health of its members, yeah, let's not get crazy with trying to add all these different schools when there's still a lot up in the air, and especially during this time when we're in the midst of a pandemic and everything else that's going on. Uh, Bill, anything else from a UND or NCAA perspective that you'd like to touch on right now before we do a quick flip over to the B side of the conversation? No, I think I think we've kind of hit it. You know, I, I hope everyone is being safe out there. And, you know, obviously we're just, you know, through a lot of uncertain times and, you know, we're asking a lot of questions uh, here, uh, as you might imagine. We're trying to get as many answers as possible. But sometimes, you know, sometimes not having the answers today is, um, you know, maybe sets you up to to maybe go down a path of getting the answers hopefully we all want futuristically and so i guess i'll just leave it there is that you know that's it's there's not a day that's going by right now that we're not grinding through like what this looks like until uh until a vaccine uh you know is in play and is is abundant and uh because whenever that occurs it'll be interesting as to you know how available that will be um literally around the world yeah yeah well said yeah, well, off to the B-side. We actually have some different B-side topics to talk about now because we actually have sports that are more or less back. At least it, some of the sports teams that we especially follow, Liverpool, Tottenham, et cetera, the EPL started this past week. Our Bundesliga fling is now almost over. There's only one match left in the, the season. We potted last time when there was still a title race going on in Germany. And uh, as our pod conversation was going, Bayern Munich was beating Borussia Dortmund and that was that. And so that one kind of flickered out a little bit. Have you had a chance to watch much of the football bill in recent weeks? And what have you, what have you experienced in terms of these ghost games that are still going on across England now? Premier League is learning from the Bundesliga and it's just kind of interesting how the games have been. I, I don't, I, I find them to be just fine. I, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's certainly you'd want to play in front of uh, crowds and in the momentum and in the theater of it all for sure. But I think at this point in time, um, I think obviously getting live sports back in some way, shape or form is awesome. And uh, again, it's the best reality TV because we never know what's going to happen. Except, of course, if it's Tottenham, then you know what's going to happen. <laughs> They're going to give up a goal in the last 10 minutes of a yeah. game when they're up yep. one nothing. That's what's going to happen. Yep. So, um, and right true to form. But uh, now, hey, I'm just going to tell you, if they don't beat West Ham today, I, I'm just telling you. <laughs> I, 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 so, so there's that. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's been interesting. Um, what, what's your take? Live sports is better than no live sports. That's for sure. It sort of depends on the league and the and the match and the experience. I know that, you know, I was excited for the EPL to start back up again, and it's not been it's not been great. I think the quality is still not there because it feels so much like a preseason match, and you sort of forget that. Oh, that's right these 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 games really matter. Like there are points on the line and you're fighting for a championship or you're fighting for a champions league place, or you're fighting against relegation. And NBC has approached this with a soundtrack that you can have. If you want to watch the game with piped in noise, crowd noise, et cetera, you can do so on the main linear platform. If you don't like that, you can watch on a streaming service and you can take away and you just hear the players essentially and the coaches. I was watching a Serie A game yesterday from Italy 
no crowd noise, just people yelling. And it just, it just felt so, it just didn't feel like it was a major sporting event like it should be. You know, AC Milan is playing and this is one of the biggest clubs in the world. And it just feels like they're, we're just watching a practice. You know, it just, I, I think it's one of those things that I had sort of gotten used to it in the Bundesliga for some reason. And now seeing these other leagues begin, it almost takes you a little bit again to sort of recalibrate and think, oh, that's right. This is, this is different. This is, <laughs> you know, these teams well and know these players, but it's not quite the same. And it might take a little bit for it to become a little more normal, this new normal that we always talk about. It's going it's to take a little bit for it to get, for me to get there, I think. Yeah, the, uh, you know, the, I think the Bundesliga, you know, when they started that, that first week, you know, I think it was just uh, pretty sterile and, and they didn't pipe uh, anything in, I think, that first weekend, or at least when I was watching Dortmund. And then, uh, and then week two, they kind of went down that path a little bit. The one thing I like about it, and you can say, well, it's canned and all that kind of stuff, I get it. But the one thing that's it's good as if, if just say you're not a hundred percent focused on the match to some degree, uh, they do have the ability to, you know, give you the ability to, Oh, something's happening right now. So then you would look up. And so, uh, as long as the DJ is paying attention and is pushing the right buttons, DJ's a big, <laughs> uh, that's a big job. I mean, it really is. I mean, you got to kind of figure that out. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, who knows? I, I, I think, um, you know, those, those leagues have kind of figured it out. It's interesting to me that we have not figured it out yet in the United States. And and I, and again, I guess I am reminded that that was the plan for the NBA um, as far as the dates are concerned, but the, you know, major league baseball is a concern. Um, You know, until we see uh, team sports played in our country, that's certainly, I think uh, any athletic director right now is uh, it, is hopeful and, uh, and, and, and would like to see. So, you know, knock on wood, hopefully all those plans that are in place right now uh, for those particular leagues will, uh, will take place. One of the neat things that we've seen come from the restart to the Premier League and what we've seen in the Bundesliga and, and in some other leagues as well is the ability for players and teams to take a stance for social justice. And we've seen this in the EPL with Black Lives Matter replacing the names of the players on the back of their jerseys. And there, you know, there are patches in the EPL with that that movement on their sleeve that's going to stay there for the rest of the year and also for the National Health Service workers, they have a patch as well. Like it's neat to see these sports sort of take and these athletes really who have been pushing this take up this platform and say, hey, we need to start making a stand. When you look at that and you think about, and this is maybe more of an A-side topic, I suppose, when you think about college athletics beginning and what UND might do, how would you approach if there are you know, teams and athletes that would like to make a statement or would like to take a knee before opening tip or would like to, how do you sort of look at that from a college athletics perspective, Bill? Yeah. So, you know, uh, you know I appreciate you bringing that up. I, I um, you know, it, it, COVID's been hard, Alex, because for a lot of different reasons, but communication certainly has taken on a whole different form. And, you know, you, uh, those are, those are conversations that you would love to get into. Um, I, I still believe kind of in a, in a format or a room where you can make sure that you've, uh, um, uh, you kind of are understanding where everyone's coming from. If that can make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at the end of the day, I think, uh, you know, certainly in this country, the one thing that we have is freedom of speech for sure. Um, and, and, and obviously we uh, believe strongly in that, uh, obviously as a nation. Um, 
you know, I, I, I think all social causes and, 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 and you know, scenarios uh, that we recognize and I'll call them frontline workers and those types of things all make a whole lot of sense. Uh, it, it, I think you've got to do it in a way um, that we make sure that we're sensitive to everyone that is part of, in, in our case, I would say UND athletics or UND at large. And we just have to be really thoughtful um, to make sure that we talk through everything um, in some way, shape or form, because, you know, in some ways, sometimes no good deed goes unpunished. And, you know, you might be doing X and, and maybe somehow, some way Y is occurring. And we just have to be thoughtful about that. Big issues to tackle, and certainly on a college campus, which is always a great place for these ideas to take root and to form and shape. And you, you see, you know, th these are young adults that are trying to figure out their voice and what the best way is to try and help society, to try and make the world a better place. That happens in college. And, uh, you know, uh, you can tell already, like just from seeing how what some of our student athletes have done over the last couple of weeks, really, with this movement in the world, you know, in the world, really to try and push for social equality, it's been neat to see some become a little more outspoken and to take a stand and try and speak up for people that maybe don't have much of a voice right now. So anyway, all that to be said, it was neat to see pro sports take that stand and to see the leagues embrace that as well to try and push for, yeah, for human rights. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'd say, and maybe I'm Pollyanna here to some degree, I, I just hope we can find um, an avenue or a safe zone to have real awesome dialogue and discourse. And, you know, sometimes that has to be, uh, you know, between the 45s, if you will, and maybe not in the end zones. And um, I, I sure hope that, you know, this provides us that avenue and that opportunity. And then further, I hope, you know, real work and, and, and real change uh, for the better, uh, you know, is, is, is ultimately the outcome. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Um, one of the B-side topic here as we get to wrap up, you mentioned a moment ago, you know, Major League Baseball still trying to figure things out. That's, you know, an ever-changing story. Like, are we going to, in your mind right now, are we going to have baseball, Bill, this summer? Or is or should we just stop having hope? Yeah, I. it feels like the answer is no until the answer is yes. Mm. That's what it feels like right now to me. Um and in what's challenging for these leagues, for sure, and I, and I get it, is, you know, they've got a collectively, uh, you know, bargained agreement that are, uh, you know, contractually that they've got to, you know, think through during a really unique time. And so, I don't know. I, I don't know, Alex. I The thing that has... It, it, when we're just talking baseball, if we just just talking baseball, what I don't understand to some level is when we were kind of maybe even back, rewind it two months ago, would you have just utilized spring training facilities for the major league teams in both Arizona and Florida um, and and just called it good there? if you weren't going to play with fans at this point, because then it seemed like it would be only a bus league and there would really be no reason to be in Fenway park. You could be in jet blue, right? Playing. And you know, the twins are there. So if they're playing the twins and you alter the schedule so that maybe Florida's the American league and Arizona's the national league. 
But I don't know. I, it just seems odd to me. But I don't know. Do you think we get there from here? I mean, it seemed like it was going to happen last week. All right. And it's, it's seen, I've seen so many, <laughs> I've seen so many different reports from Jeff Passan and like the different people in the MLB network and Buster only. It seems like every other day it's like, okay, there's a new proposal. It feels like this has support and then something changes and then it sort of gets thrown out the window. And I think the, uh, like you said, the, the sad thing about this is if they would have sort of budged, if one side or the other would have budged a little bit a, two months ago, yeah, we could already be playing games. This this thing could be going, but I get it. It's hard because you're trying to collectively bargain the next CBA, which is which is up this next year. And there are some things that the players don't want to give up, which is understandable. The owners also feel like they have a right to push back on salaries and do some different things in terms of prorating salaries for a shortened season and all these different things. It just, it's too bad. I think more than anything, and, and you and I both listen to the Bill Simmons podcast a lot, and you've heard different people talk on that about how it feels like the players are a, in a much more understandable position now maybe than they were in the 1994 Major League Baseball strike. Now it feels like the owners, it's a less defensible position that it feels like they're taking right now. And I think people are more apt to side with the players. And I agree with that. I think that seems to be the case right now that it seems like this seems like a weird time to, to money grab if you're an owner that is worth several billion dollars and you're arguing over pennies it, it, to them. Let's get the thing going again. I don't know. I, I hope it does. It'd be great if it comes back. I'm not 100% sure maybe if they're going to get there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think... You know, the owners, you know, you're, you're talking about is it a short term play or a long term play? Right. I mean, right now. And, and so, you know, I, I, do they really want to get the the season going for all the reasons, you know, that would, I think, help uh, the country, um, probably the world to some degree? Don't know how many, you know, world baseball fans there are. I'm sure there are, but, but certainly would help our country. Um, you know, it's a daily occurrence, right? It's, it's like an old friend. It comes to you every day. And, and so I think that's what, you know, baseball has uh, going for it. And yeah, it's disappointing that we haven't gotten there yet. I think that the bigger piece of the puzzle of from 94 to now is really the the conversation about the equity that's in these franchises at this point, right? And so, and and that's not something that the players really take part in is the valuation of of the franchise increasing, uh, you know, probably you know exponentially uh, over the last several years. Certainly, every time a, a franchise is available for purchase. So, you know, again, you could be talking short term negotiating deal points. But if you talk about the long-term play of this, you know, that's where it gets really confusing. And so, um, all that to be said, I don't know. I, I just have this sneaky suspicion that those two sides are, are not going to land the plane. I think, I think the NBA and the NHL will figure it out and get it done, but it just feels like we would be playing baseball already if they had figured it out, uh, if they were closer at this stage. Yeah, that's, and I agree with you. Again, June 23rd, you're going to have to have at least a month of spring training, something, three to four weeks for guys to report to get back into the swing of things. You're not playing games till August. And I don't know how that worked. Like, you, you know, like I said, the 60 game proposal they've got out now, the players don't want that. That seems too short. It's, 
I we'll see. It's just one of those things. Part of me actually would be okay if baseball didn't come back because I know the Red Sox maybe <laughs> we're going to maybe struggle this year and it would remind me that they traded Mookie Betts and all those things. But, uh, but that's just being facetious. We all want it back. Let's get it back. It just seems really, really odd, but you know, I don't know. 2020 has been odd, Alex. It's, <laughs> it's par for the course, isn't it, for this year? Yeah, it, it has. It has. Well, hey, I, what last last topic on the B side? So, what is what is Liverpool? I know they kind of got off to a, a whole hum draw start against uh, Everton. What what is the uh, how many points you need to to seal the deal? So they're five away now. So if uh, and, that, and that's, you know, combination of City dropping points. Although, again, City beat Burnley 5 nothing yesterday and looked pretty pretty good after beating Arsenal 3-0. I don't see them losing a lot of games moving forward. So, basically, um, yeah, it could, be, it could be a little bit. Might be July before Liverpool clinch the title, even if they win this weekend. But they've still got some players coming back from injury. Mo Salah picked up a knock during training. They didn't have Andy Robertson at the weekend. So, they've got some guys that are, that are missing in action. Someone had a great... Point. I think Barney Rane of The Guardian talked about this the other day, how Liverpool is a team that has good, really good individual players, but they don't have a Messi or they don't have a Ronaldo. They don't have a guy that can step on the field and just sort of win you a game single-handedly. Maybe Salah on his day could do that, but for the most part, they don't. It's collective. It's about the tactical acumen of the team, how well they play together, and their effort. That's what's made them so good. Also built on the incredible home atmosphere they've got at Anfield. And so you've now taken away the home atmosphere and you've taken away some of the continuity because they haven't played for two months and you've taken away some of the physicality because again, they haven't played for two months. These guys aren't match fit. And now all of a sudden they look a little more average. So it wouldn't shock me if they do draw a couple of matches and sort of, you know, it it might look a little ugly maybe at times and it might kind of become mid-July before they clinch this thing, but they are going to clinch. They only need five points and there are eight matches remaining. So it's going to happen at some point. It just would have been fun if they could have continued this great invincible run that was of course broken up shortly before the pandemic, but continued this incredible season where they really did play scintillating football, Bill. Scintillating football. So yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, you know, and again, uh, I roll all that stuff. Um, they've had a great year, and they're going to finish it off. That's what's going to happen. I, I, I guess the piece of the puzzle is 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 truly Man City not in play for Champions League. Is that is that a deal? Is that really no? Possible? So that's all still up in the air. Yeah. So right now, if you're in fifth place in the Premier League, that might get you Champions League football because City has been given a two-year Champions League ban, but it's in the Court of Appeals right now. So there's a lot up in the air. We'll see. I know it's the merits of the case, Alex, but it, does does it ever does some of that stuff like ever get overturned? Is that is that real? Yeah, I think that stuff gets overturned all the time. What I think will probably happen is the, the two-year ban will be reduced to a year, and they might serve that next year or the following. That's that's my get. When just just looking at how uh cast the center for sport arbitration of sports or whatever in Europe how they deal with these sorts of things and how these clubs that have so much money typically just get a slap on the wrist i feel like that's what's going to happen in the end it just they never uphold the actual full length of these bands they they just never do but whether or not it means for the 2020 21 season or if it's 21 22 or how that all works out it's all tbd got it got it well that's good information i i um uh, I just was just curious on how that normally works, but yeah, that that'll that'll be fascinating. You want to be fourth, Bill. You still just want to be fourth. Fifth, fifth might might be enough for you, but 
you just want to be fourth to be safe. Yeah, there, there's no chance of that. So, um, so <laughs> fifth, fifth is a possibility still, but fourth is not. And so, you know, and, and going into it, and again, I, as I said to my son, I, I, I don't know, even know why I think they can win a match, but let's start there. But, um, but at the end of the day, I knew the first one would be tough against Man U, and, and it, whatever they got a point, and they could have had three. But uh, they really have seven winnable games right now. Amazingly, they do. They have seven winnable games. And again, as you mentioned, Alex, you know, really without home field environment and all that stuff, really the better team should win, right? That's what we saw in the Bundesliga. More often than not, the better team typically won. So, so far, in the, so far in the Premier League too, it's all, it, it's almost been that way. The first week's always a little wonky because teams are just getting back. But for the most part, not a lot of upsets other than Arsenal losing to Brighton. But is Arsenal really the better team? That's maybe, that's maybe the question in that situation. Sorry, Paul Ralston. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> but things went pretty much, a lot of draws, a lot of chalk. And I think that's what we'll probably see for the rest of the way out. That's my, that's my gut. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I think, uh, you know, again, seven very winnable contests, obviously, the way they've played this year, very seven uh, losable and, 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 and obviously, uh, you know, potentially, you know, draw draws as well. But at the end of the day, um, yeah, fifth is, is a possibility. I just was interested if maybe they gave them two years, Alex, to maybe to cut it to one. That's what yeah. it seems like to some degree. Yeah, well, that's what I think, too. It sounds like that's going to continue to be that decision will not be made tomorrow. Let's just say that. <laughs> Got it. Well, cool. hey, always good talking. Glad we were able to catch up. And, you know, for sure, we'll do another one in July and, and maybe we'll do one sooner than later. Who knows? Who knows? Flexibility. That's the name of the game right now. Everything is fluid at this point in time. <laughs> so you'd better be flexible. Awesome. Bill, good to see you. Be safe out there. Best to you and yours, all right? Same. He is Bill Chaves. For our producer, Cassie Niles, I'm Alex Heiner. Thanks again for listening to the Bill Chaves podcast. Be safe out there, everybody. Continue to socially distance. Wash your hands. Wear masks if you're out in public. Just be smart. And we're going to get over this thing. And hopefully we'll get back to playing sports in person sometime soon. Take care. We'll talk to you next time. Mm -hmm.